0: Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 830 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. And now, may you be blessed as we give our attention to the reading of God's word.
1: Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout and triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood, I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. Come back to the place of safety. All you prisoners who have Still have hope. I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. And this is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated.
0: May be seated. Lord, um, these words aren't just a song to, to hear, but they are a prayer. Come, Messiah. Lord, you came a long time ago, stepped into the story, being born in a manger, something we celebrate um, tomorrow and on Tuesday. And yet, Lord, um, the promise of that birth and the promise ever since is that you long to be born um, anew all the time in our hearts and in our lives. And so this morning, we say, come Messiah. Come and be born once again in us. Let that that promise that Christmas came and changed the world. let it let it let it come here now, fresh and new. Lord, we, we pray that as we have heard from you through singing and and in sharing of of our gifts and, and in prayer and scripture, Lord, we pray. That that as you've already begun to speak to our heart, that you would continue to do so. Lord, I pray against any distractions and any um, any blocks that we might have put from hearing you or someone else maybe have put in front of us from hearing you today, that those would be removed so that we would hear from your heart, that you would speak comfort and tenderness to us. Come, O Holy Spirit, move across your people. May the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight for you, God, are our rock and our redeemer, and it is in the name of Jesus that we offer this prayer. And all God's people said, amen. 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 So um, over the last couple of weeks, um, my dogs have been making some really poor choices. (laughs) Really poor choices, And, and... They've been getting into things that they shouldn't be getting into. And do you know how I know that they know that they shouldn't be getting into these things? Because when I walk into the room, they look at me like this. As if to say, hi, dad, glad you're here, but don't go over there. Don't look at the trash can pushed to the side and the toilet tissue all over the place. No, they know when they look at me that way that that, uh-oh, bad news, and I know I'm in trouble because I'm going to have to clean it up. Um, same can be said for our kids, right? Moms and dads ever walked into a room with a kid doing what they're not supposed to be doing? Oh, that is a joyous moment, isn't there? How quickly they go, no, I'm not doing anything wrong, mom, dad, no, not at all. Um, have you, have you ever caught anybody doing something that they know that they shouldn't be doing? Is there no greater joy than saying, gotcha, when the hand is in the cookie jar? I, I, I thought of that this week, and I was reflecting on my joy in those moments, and I'm realizing there is something really wrong with me. <laughs> Something's off. Why do I enjoy those gotcha moments so much? But if I'm honest, I have to admit, I have to realize that it's often me that's the one caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Anybody else with me or am I by myself? (laughs) (laughs) Liars. I why is it that when, why is it that breaking rules are so much fun, right? Why are we so intrigued by looking obedience in the face and going, not today, thank you very much? If we're truthful, to obey is something that we're all guilty of not doing as much as doing, right? Come on, right? Yeah. And we don't like rules, right? As Americans particularly, we love the freedom that comes from not having to do anything we don't want to do. A lot of people look at the Bible and they look at God's story as a bunch of commands written down by a bunch of old men just in a room to tell us how we're supposed to behave in certain situations. So obedience, then, we think is this burden, is this heavy load that we just kind of have to bear all of our lives and do the best because we know we're going to mess up, so whatever. And the crazy thing is, is, I actually think that that's a completely understandable approach to Scripture, In the tradition that I grew up in, um, we were known, we were more known for what we were against rather than what we were for. Don't do this, don't do that. In fact, we had a saying, we don't dance or chew or go with the girls that do. There it is, okay, got all the way through. It's like a joke grenade, you just drop it and it'll go off eventually, you know? No, I mean, my parents weren't even allowed to hold hands or snuggle on the couch when I was growing up, or my grandmother would scold them. It's crazy. Um, The church has had seasons where keeping rules was important because there was an an element of safety that was necessary. If we don't do this, or I do do this, then there'll be some kind of consequence. How many of y'all have ever John 75 going south over to Richmond, over the Kentucky River, and been really thankful for guardrails? it's windy over there. Guardrails are, 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 are like rules. They help us rein in behaviors and choices that we make to maintain safety and other area, and for, for the areas of life that we cherish. But reducing the story of God to just a list of rules, laws, is a terrible disservice to God. You can't read it that way, but it's really a shame. It's really a shame. See, Scripture, as I look at it, tells us a completely different story. Carefully looking at the, the, the pages as they come alive, we don't see, uh, I got to do what God told me to do. But there's this celebration that comes whenever the law is read. Think about the Hebrews who got out of slavery in Egypt. Um, the commandments and the instructions when God gave them to them on Sinai, do you know what they did when they received them? They sang, they danced, they threw a party, woo And every time there is a revival in Israel, every time the law, the commandments are brought out, the people are invited to look at the choices that they've made to this place. There's repentance for disobedience, and then there's a party. See, I'm convinced we don't throw enough parties in the church. We're too heavy on the stuff that we didn't do. We we here obey and we think regulation and, and a freedom that's taken away. But in the scriptures, to obey, it's to rejoice, man. It's to find happiness. It's to live this wide, open, free life. Don't you love the Advent reading that we read today? It's the strangest Advent reading I've ever heard, Nichols. It's a little bit off. But there's a promise in there for us, see the nation of Israel had been completely or at least almost completely wiped off the planet. There's a huge chunk of the people that have been taken into exile. There's a small bit, we call that a remnant. The remnant is left trying to eke out some kind of living in this land that's been devastated by war and pillaging. And for 70 years the Hebrews um, are held in exile by two different pretty brutal nations. And then at the end of 70 years, there's this king who comes along, a Persian king, and he says, you know what? The Hebrew God's a pretty good God to have on my side. So I want to make sure that God is happy with me. So I'm going to let these exiles return and rebuild their place of worship. And this is the best part. He says, go back and I'm going to pay for it all. Yeah. No capital campaign there. The people get to go back home, the king is going to pay for the entire rebuild project. God is paving a way for the people to, to experience his goodness. They get back and they find Jerusalem is just a hot mess. Everything's broken down, nothing's looking great, and they start to work. But then opposition sets in from the neighbors. Have you ever had a bad neighbor? Mm-hmm. Nobody here is a bad neighbor, I know. but. It's these bad neighbors, and and the the people who've been in charge of the area for a while, well, they, they don't like the Hebrews coming back, and so they start imposing all kinds of regulations and rules and laws, restrictions. Homeowners Association gets really upset, and the Hebrews, they get worn out, they get torn down by complaining. And in in no time, the work quits. And God's given them all this favor and and every resource that they've needed. But this opposition, it's gotten in the way of the clear instructions. And they give a response to all that God has given them. And the response is no. They choose comfort over a huge gift. Zechariah is part of the priesthood family, and he sees this disobedient apathy, and he knows that something, it's got to happen. So he hears from God, and he stands up in the crowd, and he says, y'all, it's time to choose what's most important. Better yet, who is most important? And he rallies the people to stand and say, listen, our belief in God matters. And he stands in between this choice that they have to be self-indulgent And this choice that they have to receive God's gift of restoration. And he begs them to get up and get back after it. And his begging begins with this great word, rejoice. Throw a party. It's time to celebrate. Celebrate. His next words, though, would have been absolutely electrifying. There's a king who's coming, and his entrance is going to bring righteousness and vindication. What an awesome word for a people who are the laughingstock of everywhere. But how is this righteousness and vindication going to come? How is this going to king? Humble on a donkey. What? Not with pride on the back of a Sherman tank or a war horse. In fact, the prophet says the war chariots, the, the weapons are going to be relics. In their place, peace, the wholeness of God is going to reign. Those unfairly imprisoned are going to be freed. And truth, there's going to be no need for prisons because the covenant that God is making, people are going to be different. The blessings of God will be scandalous. Isn't that fantastic? The blessings of God are scandalous, not churchy, scandalous, overwhelming. We've been spending the last several weeks in our Advent series with George Frederick Handel's Messiah, looking at these passages that have come up, and Handel knew that this promise of a king that's coming is gonna, was, it would change the world, and it should continue to change the world. Handel knew that it would take obedience, um, not something that's forced upon us, but released upon us to rejoice to do this changing. A king who would come and bring the reign of God that Zechariah spoke of and that Handel said, my audience needs to hear this all over again. And so in 1742, Handel goes to Dublin, Ireland to offer a series of concerts in January and February. His newest work, this piece, Handel's Messiah that took some 26 miraculous days to compose, is sitting on his desk. It's not ready to be offered to the crowds, at least that's what Handel thinks. The concerts go well, things are happy, but in March, Handel begins exploring an idea for a benefit concert. See, he's seeing things that aren't right in Dublin, aren't right in England at the time, and that this material that he's been working on needs to come out. And so he starts hiring musicians in a hall for a March conference, a, a March concert that would be a, a benefit that would raise money for some charities to make a difference. He wanted this to, to do something. So he had his own organ and his harpsichord shipped to him from London to Dublin because it had to be just so. 700 people packed this auditorium. There's standing room only, it's every pastor's dream. The music begins and the words start to ring through the halls, and the audience is swept up. And we hear these words Rejoice, O people of Zion, your king comes. And you know what happens to the crowd? They're euphoric. The buzzer went off. The crowds go nuts. It was so incredible, the response so great that Handel immediately said, Hey, we need to do this again. They did two or three more concerts. That benefit concert alone of 700 people raised enough money for three charities and was responsible for the paying off of debt of 142 individuals who were stuck in debtor's prison. 142 people who were in prison because they had debts were now freed because people were overwhelmed by the words. Handel was a brilliant musician. He was also a wealthy man who lived very comfortably, but who also gave great sums of money away. He was captivated by these words of the Messiah, but he was also guilty of holding on to more than he needed. He died in 1756 at the age of 74, blind, very fat, and very rich. Handel's funeral was a national event. He planned and prepared everything at Westminster Abbey. No small cost to that. And the rest of his wealth was given to charities across London. Handel seemed to battle this fine line between joyful obedience and being bound by a law throughout his entire life. See, he knew good news, but he was also bound by the comforts and these bouts of lethargy and apathy. I was reading this week a passage out of the book of Hebrews. The author is talking about Christ's work as our high priest. Now, this was someone uh, back in the day that enforced the religious laws, both pagan and Jew alike. But Jesus as our high priest is a very different kind of one who offers a new covenant to the people, a new set of promises, a new set of opportunities. And in this covenant, the laws of God are not written on paper or stone but instead written on our hearts. That the laws that the king would bring are coming in such a way that it becomes living and comes from the source of loving. Hebrews says that everyone from the least least to the greatest will know me and I will forgive their wickedness and will never again remember their sins. Isn't that great? It's It's like going, Lord, forgive me for this you're forgiven. Five minutes later, hey, Lord, you remember that? Nope. God says, nope. God has chosen to forgive. This is the new covenant that the king is bringing. And I read that passage and I thought, wow, we really get the whole forgiveness of sins thing, but then forever it's no longer to be remembered. That's a big deal, isn't it? I think a lot of us love carrying our old sins in like five-gallon buckets around with us, woe is me, it's so terrible. Jesus is good at taking it, but it's with me all the time. And it's heavy and it's laid down and it gets us, don't get the, the, the voices, ah, whatever. The point being, we carry this stuff with us all the time and the author of Hebrews is saying, that's crazy talk. You're forgiven, you're free. And it dawned on me that these word's from Hebrew, they're written for us, they're written for you and for I. This is a word for people in exile rejoice that a king is coming, that that a king is coming and has freed us. How can we not be different? How can we not look at the season differently? See, when I choose to live in disobedience, when I choose to do the things that I know are going to tear me apart and, and, and take life away from me, when I carry those buckets around with me all the time, all I'm doing is just I'm walking around with a corpse tied around to me. It's like letting death hang out with me instead of life that God has offered. And Joy and Ollie have been in town this last week, and um, Ollie, I've learned, has a new favorite word, no. (laughs) And sometimes it's repeated, no, 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 it's his favorite word. Um, Thursday morning. Uh, We were in the living room and and drinking coffee and enjoying, and all of a sudden, Joy and I noticed that Ollie had a rather strong odor attached to him. (laughs) He was carrying along with him. And Joy said to him, Ollie, you want to get clean and change your diaper? And his phrase, his response was, no. You when we choose to disobey to walk outside of what God has given us, to to choose no's instead of the life that Jesus has given us, Um, we're choosing to let an odor just follow us, to go with us wherever we go. We're just saying no. And Christ is saying, I've got so much more. See, disobedience is so intriguing for us because we certainly have a sin problem, but our sin problem has been dealt with, thanks be to God, at least the power of sin. We have a way out of this sin problem, again, thanks be to God. His name is Jesus. He is the high priest. He isn't offering some list of rules. Obedience isn't about towing some line. It's about rejoicing in a good news that says you don't have to live with death tied to your neck. See, the good news isn't just that we get to go to heaven at some point. The good news is that God came to be with us. He came and was born. He lived. He died. He was raised from the dead. He rules here and now, not just at some point in the future, but now. And the place where he rules and where he reigns is crashing right into where sin and death and disobedience continue to cling to power. You don't have to have that stink of death wrapped around you. You get to live free from prison, free from debt. You get to not obey out of fear, but out of a heart that says, let's have a party. Let's rejoice. Let's celebrate. It's a follower of God. Child of the living one, rejoice this morning. Hear these words from the prophet Zechariah. Shake off the smell of death, for the king has come. And as Zechariah said, maybe we need to hear all over again. Let's get on with it. Let's shake off the dust, the lethargy, the apathy. And let's get to building. Maybe physically maybe a whole lot more. Throughout this Advent season, I've been inviting us to a time to just be still and reflect. So I want to invite you, if you've got something in your hands, push it to the side and let's close our eyes. Lord Jesus, for many of us, obedience is a scary word. And yet, from your perspective, it is an opportunity to rejoice, to celebrate, to know that freedom has come. So, Lord, speak over us this morning, freedom, release from captivity. What others have done to us, yes, it matters, but you have something more for us. We don't have to be bound by old stories and old narratives. For those of us who are just absolutely worn out because of opposition, Lord, let us hear the call to rejoice, to celebrate. For you, O King, our King have come. We ask, Lord, that as we approach Christmas, as we end the season of preparation, you would continue to draw us closer and closer to the king who came humble, riding on the back of a donkey, the one who laughs at weapons of war. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be that kind of people, filled with your kind of life, who go through our days rejoicing, for our king has come. Lord, we love you and we give you thanks for all that you have done, all that you're doing, and all that you will do. And it is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we offer this prayer. And all God's people said,